Welcome to the media ministry of Crossroads Church Aspen. To learn more about Crossroads, visit our website at ccaspen.com. We hope you enjoyed this message by Pastor Steve Woodrow. For doing that. Um, thanks, Derek. How's everybody doing? Thanks for being at the second service here um, this morning. Hope you're doing well. Hope you're ready to hear the Word of God and here excited and um, as summer is kind of coming to an end, right? School, back to that fall schedule a little bit. If you're visiting with us or watching online, you know we've started a series in the book of Revelation uh, just a few weeks ago. Before that, we were in Matthew 24, which was the Olivet Discourse, and that is a place where Jesus talks and gives a sermon about the end times, and it's a great kind of segue into the book of Revelation. And so just a couple weeks ago, we moved into the book of Revelation, obviously the last book in the Bible, and uh, we're going to dive into this book uh, in this next season. Jesus uh, gave the sermon, or the Olivet Discourse, excuse me, circled around this question to his church, are you ready? And it was all um, centered around just the church being ready for the time as it gets close to the end and ready to obviously um, be evaluated by him, the Lord of the church, the savior of our lives, um, who is, as we're going to see here, evaluating, constantly taking a look, walking among his churches and seeing how his people are doing. And what we move into this morning is the second chapter of Revelation, which uh, the second, third chapters give us seven letters to these seven uh, historical churches that uh, Jesus gave to John to to give to us. To the seven, we talked about it, it's, it's the number of completeness. Uh, this is the message to the total church, right? That it needs to heed this message to us. And there's probably no more important time for the church, for us, and for the larger church in America to heed these these messages, this uh, um, this evaluation of Jesus, of his people and his church. And so I hope you'll be diving in with us in this study. We're going to move along. Let me just say, I've had a lot of people give me um, some questions about the book of Revelation. Pass those on. Just email those to me. Um, I'd love to hear what they are, and through this series, I will work those in, and even this morning, I'll I'll not deal with some of the things that we're dealing with here. I'll deal with it later, more in depth, Um, and so feel free to do that. That would be great feedback. So this morning, though, we're going to circle, come to the first letter, the the letter to to the church in Ephesus. And uh, Jesus had one thing against them that he called them to repentance on was that they had lost their first love. They had abandoned the love they had in the beginning. And he called them to see the place that you fell from and to return, repent back. Otherwise, he says he would remove that church's lampstand. Now, folks, these are some sobering words. The reality is we live in a time right now, this current environment we're in in America Um, there are some lampstands being removed. But the good news is there's lampstands being reignited. And what we ask is the Lord, I'd ask you to pray, pray as a church, Lord, ignite us, reignite the lampstand, the faithful witness, shining light on the hill that we can be for this community and beyond. Show us, Lord, to heed what we need to heed right out of your word so that we can be that faithful church in this time, in this place, as long as the Lord tarries, right, and, uh, and waits to, to return. 
So I'm gonna, there's a lot we're gonna, we have to deal with in this few verses, but we're gonna hone in on this idea, is the flame of love alive? Uh, I'll have about four questions to give you this morning. Hopefully you'll write them down. Hopefully you'll press into these um, for yourself as well as us as a church. But uh, just to open up this larger idea of is the flame of love alive? Um, how would you answer that question? In your life, your personal life, your home, what about your church? What about here? Is the flame of love alive? And how do you evaluate that, especially in the culture we live in right now where there's so much confusion about love? What is it? Remember Jesus in Matthew 24 in the Olivet Discourse says that the end comes. As we get closer there, he says there will be an increase in lawlessness. And because of that increase of lawlessness, there will also be those who are fall away. He's talking about the church. There'll be many who fall away. There'll be many who are led astray. There'll be many who betray one another as persecution comes. These are Jesus' words he says to the church to be ready, right? Jesus says, I've told you these things ahead of time so you would be aware. And he says, because all those things are happening, it says that for many, their love will grow cold. Their love will grow cold. And so um, we need to drill into this idea of love because there's an all-out war on love, right, today in the sense of defining what that is. And um, we'll dive into the scripture and, and we'll jump back to uh, the book of Ephesians that Paul wrote to, uh, to that church and look at a theology of love to help us um, this morning on that. So before I dive in, though, this morning, let me I just pray for us. Father, thank you for this morning. Lord, you know where every person's at here. Holy Spirit, I ask you to come, Father, word and spirit. Lord, as we teach your word, as we dive into your word, but we know that we are radically dependent on your spirit to move in our hearts and to move among us. Lord, I pray you'd rock us out of, out of apathy. Lord, we'll just get down to the depth of our heart, our soul, to what we're feeling. Lord, make us again a people who are hungry for your word, hungry to be your light in this world, Lord. Father, we want to be a faithful church. We want to be a faithful witness, a faithful lampstand. Let us heed your word in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Revelation chapter two. Quick uh, little background on Ephesians or Ephesus. Um, I have a personal interest in Ephesus. I hope to go there and do some study one day um, for a lot of reasons that um, we'll talk about more as we get into this. Uh, But this was the city uh, that the church moved, kind of the power and the influence of the church moved from Jerusalem up to Antioch and then into Ephesus. And we see part of this was Paul's own journey. Paul planted the church with a, this power couple, Priscilla and Aquila. And um, he, uh, along with Apollos, if you remember, a powerful teacher, they planted this church in Ephesus and it just took off. You can go to Acts chapter 19. It gives us the history of Paul's ministry in the beginning of that church. Um, It was the most supernatural power exchange ministry that Paul had in his entire ministry. Um, It was an amazing power. Paul, it says in Acts 19 that even his garment, when rags would touch his clothes, were taken, laid on the sick, and they were healed. 
Um, people would bring all their pagan books, millions of dollars of books to be burned as, as they repented and radically turned from their pagan ways, right, to follow Jesus. Uh, it was a wild, exciting time. And we know that as Paul was there three years ministering, as he preached in the Hall of Trinius and equipped and discipled followers, it says that the entire um, Asia heard the word that is actually the words used are the word of God mightily increased among that area. There was a hunger for the word of God and among all believers took it out powerfully sharing the good news um, of God in that area. So Paul um, turned around and wrote back this, the letter of, of Ephesians to the church in Ephesus. That was about 40 years roughly before John wrote this revelation on the Isle of Patmos and gave it as a circular letter from Ephesus around all the other seven churches. Um, again, I think it's important to understand that these seven letters, seven being completeness, Jesus gave the revelation to these historical seven churches to be a totality message for the church in all of history to heed and pay attention. This is just a little insight of Jesus' evaluation as he walks among right, his churches. Um, so that's just a little uh, background there. Ephesus was an amazing city. It was the chief city of Asia for Rome. It was the gateway to all the roads east. Uh, there it had the temple of Artemis and Diana. It was one of the seven wonders of the world. Her temple took about 100 years to build. It was the largest marble structure in the, in the world, uh, still to this day. It took up almost a football field. It was a massive glorious structure that the world came to. Uh, Ephesus was a very spiritual, very pagan place. People would travel the world to get there and get a little amulet, get a blessing to bless their business or their travels or, or whatever. Um, there was a whole sect of these um, of these pagan priests and they would oversee the temples and all the cult ministries and, and the festivals, uh, April, March, every year. They had a whole month that they would worship and celebrate Diana, the Romans called her, or Artemis. Um, very, very pagan festivals. And this is the environment, right, um, that, that Paul started a church in. Uh, you can go there today. There's a, they had an amphitheater, 20,000 seat amphitheater. They had uh, the Olympic Games that were um, just the, um, the largest compared to Greece at the time. They had a library there that was um, the best in the world, 120 scrolls there, or 12,000, uh, excuse me, scrolls. Uh, just an amazing place. I could go on and on about the city. It was a dynamic city. This is the place that brought Paul brought the light of the gospel. Interesting that the Romans, um, they called Ephesus the city of light. It was the light of Asia. Um, another little interesting fact when we talk about light is that uh, Ephesus was the first city we think in all of history to have street lights. Very interesting. Um, there's a whole bunch of other details to give you about Ephesus. Just wanted to lay a little historical groundwork for you. It was on the coast. It was the main harbor. Um, but soon, several hundred years later, the harbor silted up and actually it moved inland. Today, it's inland is the, how quickly that whole area uh, changed. And we'll talk about that transition here um, in just a minute. But this is the revelation now to a church that was on fire at one time that the glory of God and the, the power of witness, 
the love of Jesus, um, even under heavy persecution, even in a very pagan environment, they were faithful to the word of God and, um, and sharing with many, many believers um, that had just gotten apathetic, had gotten kind of turned inward, had, had just gotten uh, um, weak under the pressure uh, of, of the persecution and the culture around them, and they started blending in more with the culture. And so here we have chapter two. The first letter of the seven letters uh, to the church in Ephesus. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write. All right, I'm going to come back and deal with this. It's like, wait, what are we talking about here is Jesus is giving to John a prophetic message to give to an angel, to give to the church. What's this all about? And in all seven does, says the same thing to the angel in Smyrna, to the angel in Philadelphia. So there are angels, there's a whole spiritual realm that oversees God's church, wherever it is, even if it's just a little church meeting around a tree somewhere, there are angels, there's a spiritual realm, we'll come back to this, I will deal with a biblical spiritual worldview as we get deeper into Galatians, um, but we can't fully understand the blessings we have and the worldview we have and understand unless we have a healthy spiritual worldview that many of us have grown up in a Western mentality and we've been robbed of a healthy understanding of the spiritual realm to realize that nothing happens here in this physical realm that is not right connected to the spiritual realm. Jesus' primary goal um, in the very beginning of, of Ephesians, we see chapter one, is to unite all things in heaven, all things on earth. Again, back to the garden, all these things in oneness. Again, <clears throat> this is exactly why Jesus, when he tells us to pray the Lord's Prayer, that your will, Father, may be done on earth as it is in heaven. And the reason we pray for that is because there's a lot of will, a lot of things going on here on earth that are not God's will. There's a lot of evil, even in the spiritual realm. Jesus is, the whole course of salvation is to right those things and again, bring unity and harmony. As we know, the new heaven and new earth, God's gonna renew this place. He's gonna renew heaven. It's all coming together. Those are things that we will get more in detail as we move into this. All right. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. If you were with us last week, we talked about this vision that John had of Jesus. He has the seven stars, the angels. Jesus is the Lord of all kings on earth today. He sits at the right hand of God. It's just that the world does not know that or acknowledge it. They will when he returns. He also holds in his hand the power and the authority over the entire heavenly realm and the realm in Hades and Sheol. Last week we saw he holds the keys of Hades and death. Jesus is the king. He's the Lord of everything, heaven and earth. And he will bring, right, these together. So he holds in his hands these angels, right? Um, and he walks among the lampstands. Who are the lampstands? The lampstands are his church. And again, the seven Historical churches here represent seven, again, the totality of the church uh, throughout the world history. Is Jesus is walking among his church. He is evaluating, seeing what is happening to his family and his children. And, um, and here we have his evaluation of the church in Ephesus for us as a church in Aspen today in 2021 to heed and make sure right, that we are faithful to our Lord 
and uh, as he walks among us. I know your works, your toil, your patient endurance, how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. So um, it gets worse after this. But the thing in Ephesus was is that they were a they had doctrinal purity. They were um, they were heeding Paul's admission when he left Ephesus. He warned the elders: as soon as I leave, evil wolves are going to sneak in. They're going to bring false teaching. They're going to bring division into the church. Is beware on watch. What happened to this church is that turned inward over time because of the pressure. Their love of the body of each other got pushed out. Their love of Jesus, their Savior, got pushed out. Oh, they loved him right but but they they got so uh, focused on managing their specific theology and all these things right that they missed the high the bigger picture right of the move of the spirit and the and the witness of the church among the world and in that community it's lampstand the light the power of god and the presence of the holy spirit they were more most concerned that their theology is right they were not concerned that the spirit of god was alive and manifesting his supernatural power among god's people um I would say strongly to any church that snubs the spiritual gifts, snubs the supernatural, is to heed this message. The lampstand is lit by the power of the Spirit of God. Jesus will remove his church where the Spirit of God is not manifestly present and enthusiastically pursued right, with the gifts that God has given for us to be able to love. And I'll come in to explain that Um, a little bit more here in just a second. Verse four, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Now stop there for a minute. It's just, let those words sink in. It's been sobering to me as I've wrestled, just evaluated my own life, um, some of these things and and prayed about it. But Jesus says to, to the church, he says, I have this against you. Um, And he's saying, repent. Remember the place where you've fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Um, I want us to drill into that this morning. I, I have three questions how to evaluate this idea of have we lost our first love? How do we know? And let's even go a little deeper. Have I even... Have I even really laid hold of the love of God in my life? Do I even know what that is and what that should look like in my life or in the church, in my church? We'll come back to that. Yet this you have, you hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Um, Who are these people? Well, scholars, they're not real sure in detail, except they know this much, that the Nicolaitans were uh, a sect that got into the churches. Paul warned there would be wolves, there'd be false teachers that come that lead people astray. And they came in, and what we do know about them is it was some combination of, of being in the church, taking the word of God, but also one foot in the world, and also having no problem being a part of the pagan lifestyle and practices of the city in Ephesus. And they would bring this compromise of this is okay and they would bring this in and try to bring it into the church that this is okay. And so I also want to say as loud as I can say it today, right now to this very day, the church in America, we are dealing and fighting off more false teaching 
than we've ever had to deal with before. And you might, because you listen to this, you go, oh, that's back then. What do we, where do we see that today? Folks, we are under more temptation to false teaching today in the church, people being led astray, people being, having their ears tickled, people just compromising a little bit with the word of God than ever before. Um, and it, it, it's a time to, to hunker down and to heed the word of God and what he says on these things. And he goes on and he says, Verse seven, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. As we can't discern again, we're back to the Spirit of God at the center of the flame of the, of the lampstand without the Spirit's manifest present among God's people. In our hearts and working among us, we do not have the ability to hear what is God saying in this time for us and for his church, for his people. And he repeats that same saying in, uh, to each of these seven letters. We'll get more into that as well. It says this, To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. To the one who conquers. You know, Jesus expects you to conquer? Do you realize that to be in heaven, to be a disciple of Jesus, means you need to be a conqueror? That's what it means to follow Christ. And what does that mean? To be a conqueror. Right? It means to overcome what? The temptations of the world. To make a stand right in the purity and holiness of what God's called us to as God's people. And to conquer and not to be conquered by a culture around us. Just like in Ephesus that is persecution, that is pressuring, that is trying to water down and all these things. Is to be a conqueror. And we can't do that folks without each other. If the church does not gather, if the church does not again lock arms and understand what it is to be the family of God, is no one can conquer alone. What, will be, what Jesus said will happen. Many will be led astray. Many will fall away. Many's love will go cold. That's what happens when God's people spread out. And that's what's happening today. It's a call back to evaluate our heart and to understand that I need you, we need each other, so we can stand strong and conquer in the midst of whatever right, comes our, our way. So I want to drill down, primarily focus in on this aspect of, of this idea that we're losing our first love. And how can the flame of love be alive, and how can we have it reignited right in our hearts, in our church here at Crossroads, and to be a lampstand that is vibrantly bringing the witness of Jesus to this community, this valley, and beyond, Right? And that we would be faithful to that task. God is up there. So there's like Hebrews says there's a cloud of witnesses who's gone before us. They're watching how we run. They're watching how we live. And are we carrying out the mission Jesus has faithfully called us to, to live faithfully, right, for him? And so here's the first question. There's three questions of understanding this idea of love. What does it mean? How do I know if I lost my first love? What does that mean? And we start with ourself. Then we move to one another, and then we move to our aspect of, of witness as a church. And so I just word it this way, how do we experience the love of God? How would you answer that question? How do you experience the love of God? Do you know that the flame of God's love through Jesus is alive and burning in your heart? Do you know that his love is alive inside your heart? And how do you know that? And folks, I, I plead with you again, 
right, is that Jesus calls us to be disciples. If you don't have, ladies, some, some women or men, some, men some, some discipleship groups where you have someone you're walking with and drilling in deeply on these questions with the word of God and really evaluating, boy, do I love him? How do I know I love him? How do I know that I was saved? And, and, and walking with him, I'm telling you, we, we can't grow into this stuff without what G, the Great Commission, go make disciples, teach them everything I've taught you is the command, right? And um, so I just, I just I give that to you as an encouragement. But let's flip over to Ephesians and uh, because this is the church that Paul originally wrote to and he's got a lot to say to this church about love. Um, and so just a, a kind of a, a quick theology of love how, in answering this question, how do we experience the love of God? And so let me start with uh, chapter one, verse four and five. And I'm just scratching the surface here, but he says this. I'll start in verse three. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. Do you know what that blessing is? Have you laid hold of that? Do you know you've been blessed in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing that is available to you in a whole nother realm? Um says, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy, blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. So to summarize this without getting too deeply, um, basically what Paul is saying here, what God is saying is, it's not about you. It's not about me. It's about God. And if I'm going to experience the love of God, I have to have some radical shift. If I'm going to be saved, if I'm going to learn to walk deeply with God, there has to be this huge shift in my soul, right, that moves away from from me focus. This is about me, what I need from you, God, to one of, no, I'm submitting to you, God. You created me and saved me for your purpose, for your will. And my agenda must come as a sacrifice, as, as one of submission to you, God. And folks, do we have a problem with that today? Right? In other words, what did you say? You can't follow me unless you what? Deny yourself. There is no following God, right? And this is the first step. And, I'm, and again, we live in a culture that is all about feelings, all about me. And this is why we're, we're wrestling with really experiencing the love of God is because we're not doing the first most fundamental thing we need to do, which is to come and have this shift of it's not about me. It's not about my feelings. It's about God. It's about getting my life under him. And then all those things, right, come into alignment. There's bigger, more work that needs to be done here than we'd ever imagine, right? Does that make sense, gang? This is the gospel. And so let me go further because you might be saying, oh, well, gosh, the next passage, folks, is, is this idea of grace. And folks, I can't understand grace or even receive his grace unless I understand first, right, that it is all about God and that I don't deserve anything. Be careful ever using the words, you deserve that or I deserve this. If we go to the scripture, you know what scripture says we all deserve? Yeah. Yeah. How about the next time somebody says, oh man, you deserve this. You deserve that house. You deserve that job. You deserve, how about hit them back with, no, I deserve wrath. For being a servant person. Do you know that, by the way, just, I know that might be radical. Do you know that's what the Bible says? That you deserve, that I deserve? That you have zero that you can stand before God and say, hey, man, look how good I've been. I have zero that I can stand before God and say, God, man, look what I've done. 
It says it's filthy rags in, in Isaiah. It means nothing. But here's the amazing, and, and, and if I don't get that right, folks, and this is the problem, right? It's been, ooh, that's, that sounds so judgmental. That just sounds so harsh. If we don't get that right, we'll never get the love of God right. We'll never get the grace of God right. And in chapter two, verse four and five says some of the most beautiful, amazing stuff here. Look at this. But God, being rich in mercy, because we don't deserve that. We've rejected him as a world. But being rich in mercy because of his great love, there it is, with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, even when we were complaining and saying, it's all about me, even when it's all me focused, even with all my junk and my sin and my ick, man, even in the midst of all that, he made us alive together in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved. And folks, that, that should overwhelm you to the depth of your heart. And so you can't get grace. If I want to know how do I experience the love of God, you can't experience the love of God unless you understand the grace of God. And you can't understand the grace of God unless you understand you don't deserve a thing from God. He's had mercy upon you. And he gives you freely grace, which is undeserved, unmerited favor. His favor is available to you and anybody who will just reach out and say, Lord, I'm desperate. Give it to me. And he will. That is the good news. And you come to him. You can't clean your life up. Here's the lie of religion. Religion is, hey, you got to kind of take care of your, you know, get things together, but God's going to, that's not how it works. You cannot fix yourself. I can't fix myself. We come to him with all my trespasses, with all my stuff, and he cleanses me by his grace. Folks, that's how we start to experience God, right? And then chapter three, I won't take time to read it because we already read that, somebody at the beginning of our service. But I just will point out with this one piece um, in verse um, <clears throat> in 16, that according to the riches of his glory, that he may grant to you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts. Folks, love can't happen outside of a supernatural move of the Holy Spirit moving in your life. Love, this church can't be a church of radical love unless the Spirit of God manifests him supernatural love of God inside our hearts. We cannot be a faithful lampstand witness unless inside that lampstand, the light, right? Remember Jesus told the parable of the seven virgins, right? And the ones that didn't have extra oil. What does the oil represent? To keep the lamp going, right? It's the dependence on, I need the Spirit of God with me to do this. Um, that's exactly what he's, he's getting at here. And so I, I just leave that question to drill down. This is the starting place for each of us in our own hearts is how do I, have I experienced his love? And I would just say, if you struggle with ever really experiencing the love of God, I, a discussion needs to be made about your salvation. How did you come to know God? Because if you're just, I, and I'm just gonna be bold here because it's so important, gang to have the assurance of your salvation. If you're living your life based on a decision you made at a, a summer camp one night or a, an emotional church service one night, and you said a little prayer, or just because you've always been in church or you've grown up in a Christian family, that's not salvation. You've got to have the assurance that you've been touched by the Spirit of God supernaturally. You know beyond a shadow of a doubt God has saved you. His Spirit has come into your heart and you've received that free gift into your heart. And if you're not sure of that, please don't walk out these doors. We would love to pray with you 
and understand it's a truth battle. It's laying hold of what God has to say, the things I'm talking about here, and just inviting Jesus in and settling it, right? Understanding what it is to be saved truly, right? Um, again, how are people going to fall away, Jesus says. They, he says many will fall away. It's because they did not take the time to really deal with their soul of what's going on. Is God alive in here or not? They just went through the religious Christian going to church, going to Bible study, or now just kind of stepping out and just kind of whatever. That will not last. That will not stand under the pressure, right? That salvation will not conquer. And I say that with all my heart is we got to get honest about what's going on right here. And if, I have, if I'm struggling with experiencing the power of the Holy Spirit in my life, I don't care what tradition you're from, but if you don't understand the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the power that comes on you to live this life, if you don't have the assurance and clarity of that, of our greater need for his movement in our life, we're going to struggle. It's going to be a struggle. And then we're just coming up with theology and just, hey, I know God loves me. And we can't live that way. God has a lot more for you. He has the assurance. He has the power inside you to really comprehend the great love of God, right? Second question. We move from there, right, to what is the connection between growing in love and loving one another? How do we grow in this love of God? Right, scripture over and over says, do not say you love God if you don't love your Christian brother or sister. Can't have one without the other. And you can't love your Christian brother and sister if you don't gather with your brother and sister. I know this is just harsh in this day and age of everything going on. But remember, these people were under nothing that we've experienced. They were under radical persecution, like life and death stuff. Right? And they realized the only way they're going to be able to conquer, the only way they're going to truly be able to love their brothers and sisters was to get together. Right? Small group or bigger, whatever it is, but we got to get together. It's the only way you can be strong enough to conquer, right? And look what's happening in our culture, folks. Look what's happening. Is lawlessness on the rise in our country? I could take you around. What's happening in Afghanistan? You know what's happening in Lebanon? Do you realize that state is about in complete crumble and disarray? I could take you around the world. What's going on, right? Think lawlessness is on the rise like never before. What's happening to the church in America, Right? Are we, are we ready? Are we ready? Right? And, and are we heeding our Lord's? We got to get our heart right on this, right? If, if we get this wrong, we get everything wrong. You can't stand if there isn't the assurance of love, the fire of love, right? And that comes to each other. How are we doing loving each other? Right? And man, I've had to repent this week. The Lord's just like bringing like, ah, man, you know, Lord, help me, right? In all spheres of this. Um, so what's the theology of love? Loving one another, right? Um, there's so much in here, but again, let's just look at Ephesians. Um, this letter that Paul wrote them, that they fell from, by the way, right? Hence come the book of Revelation to them. I have this against you. They fell from this letter 40 years before that Paul had given them, right? 
For this reason, because I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus, Paul writes the Ephesians because he heard around the churches, the church in Ephesus was known as a loving church. They loved each other, even with the hardcore pressure of persecution and pagan, all the junk that was going on in, go read Acts 19, um, that, that was happening. And Paul says he fought wild beasts there. And there's, he, he defined the persecution, the people who were after him as beasts. It was hardcore stuff. Um, and uh, four, one and two, listen to this. I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love. Church, you realize you're to bear, we're to bear with one another in love. What does that mean? Is that love is a burden. It's hard, right? I'm hard to love sometimes. Some of you are real hard to love sometimes. It's a burden, right? And you just know, I mean, we all can think of people, man, I'm your Lord, I'm having a hard time loving this person right now, right? And that's just revealing how, how unlovable, how it's hard for me to be loved, right? Does that make sense? It's a burden. It, it's work, it's, it's toil, but it's fleshing out what the love of Christ is making me deny myself, Lord, you've got to help me love this person. Show me how to love this person. Show me how to love them. And to and, and to carry that, right? It says, right, to carry that, right? To bear up one another. And again, folks, how do we do that if we don't gather? If we don't gather, we don't know each other. We don't even know what's going on in each other's lives. And you can't bear up one another and truly love one another unless you're in community together. You see this thing crumbling? You see what's happening, right, as we look at the, at the church today? So, um, yeah, let me jump. Um, well, no, there's so much here. 415, real quick. Folks, we talked about it before, but it says to the church, church, speak the truth to one another in love. We've bought the cultural idea of, oh, no, that's too judgmental. Oh, you know, everything's based by affirmation and feeling, affirming feelings. That is not the scripture. Truth in love. You can't love someone unless you're willing to tell them the truth. You are to enable someone is to sin. That is not to love. To walk alongside, I'm just loving, I'm bearing them up. No, you're not, unless you're speaking the truth of God. That's how we're to love in the body, right? And that's boldness. Here's the truth into each other's lives, right? Um, last thing, chapter five. Um, folks, we could wield down every single social problem we're dealing with in America today down to one issue, fatherlessness. We talk long enough, everything comes back to that. Chapter five, his admonition is this. Father, husbands, love your wife like Christ loved the church. Husbands, love your wife like Christ loved the church. If the church would do that, it would have this flame of a lampstand, right, that would be radically bright right, to a watching world that is so confused right now when it comes to everything, right, family, gender, you know, list, there's radical confusion, right, father, husbands, and it goes on to say, fathers, don't exasperate your children, husbands, it doesn't tell the wife to love, it says husbands love, if the husband loves his wife like Christ loved the church, guess what, all these other things just kind of, it's like come, come, come in, come in line, um, boy, how are we doing, right? Jesus is evaluating his church. I have this against you, church. You've lost your first love, right? 
So we have to, this, we have to evaluate first ourself, how, how am I experiencing the love of God? And then I move out, how am I loving others? Let me start it right at home. And then we move out to the body, how are we loving each other, right? And finally, all of this comes together. This is the primary point that Jesus was getting at, though all of this is connected, right? What is the connection between love and bold, spirit-filled witness of Jesus? Um, the lampstand itself is an image. I could take you to Zechariah 4, right? 6, that says, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. That context is speaking of the lampstand of God in Zechariah. Remember, anything you don't understand in the Old Testament or in the New Testament, it's found in the Old Testament. You just have to find it. All of Revelation, it is. There's nothing in Revelation, folks. All the imagery and everything, it's all in the Old Testament. So you gotta go back and find out how was it originally used to get greater insight on this whole thing. The lampstand is the witness. It's the witness of the church to the watching community and the world. That is the lampstand that Jesus is telling you. are not faithful as my witness. You're gonna I'm gonna remove that thing, right? And um, folks, so um, let me just end on this issue because uh, I think it's so so important. First Corinthians chapter thirteen is the love chapter, right? Many of you who are married, you had those verses right given, and it goes and it says, but you know you can have all these spiritual gifts and do all these wonderful things, but if you don't have love, you have nothing, right? But where is chapter 13 located? We miss the context of scripture. It's in the context of the importance of spiritual gifts, right? Chapter 12, introduction of the body and spiritual gifts. Chapter 13, the love chapter. Chapter 14, one says, pursue love and what? Earnestly desire spiritual gifts, especially church that you may prophesy. We have not obeyed that. Um, we have not heeded the power of that. You cannot love people if you do not let the Spirit use his gifts through you to love them. All the spiritual gifts are given to us so we can love people like Jesus loved them, right? That's why he gives all those spiritual gifts. These go together, right? And the lampstand, again, is this fire of, and you go back, what is he talking about? Go, you look how far you've fallen. Look at the ministry, the powerful, loving ministry you had um, back when you began this church, and look how far you've fallen. Restore, right, those things. Restore the love, right? Pursue love, but realize you can't love that world, that fallen world, effectively without the supernatural infilling of the Holy Spirit to gift you to love that world like Jesus did. Remember, Jesus, the, the great commission is to go make disciples, teach them what? Everything I've taught you. What did Jesus teach the disciples? Taught them to preach the gospel of the kingdom, love people, obviously, right? As he modeled for them, as he washed their feet. And what else? To heal the sick, to cast out, set people free from oppression, raise the dead. How are we doing as a lampstand? There's no way exegetically to get around it. There's no way to spin the scripture as any other way to, to say that. Right, than just that. And so all this comes down to, wow, how are we doing? When the Lord evaluates us on these things, we start with ourselves, then we Lord, and then we move on out. And so I just thought as we close and we come to the table, um, let me just pray for us. And uh, 
Father, we just thank you for your word. Jesus, sobering thought too. Think about you walking among us, even this morning, evaluating your people, your church, our faithfulness. Jesus, I repent, Lord, of, of not loving you well, Lord, of not receiving your love, Lord, and resting in that, God. Father, I repent, Lord, of not loving others well. Lord, show. Come, Lord, we know your spirit has got to do that. And Father, forgive us for not being the witness, the powerful, vocal witness for you in this world, Lord, of your glory, your goodness, the good news. Lord, let us be that city on a hill, that bright, shining light, Lord, Lord, for your glory. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for listening to this message. To hear other messages or learn more about Crossroads Church, visit our website at ccaspen.com.